0: Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you are here among us because we come together in your name. So you're here. And I ask, Lord, as uh, we open your word together now, that you would speak to us, reveal yourself to us, and move among us by your Holy Spirit, and be glorified this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So you got plan B. I'm sorry about that. Um, So I'm going to just introduce what you're going to have as a series over the next few weeks, which is the life of um, Jacob and a look at that story in the Old Testament. And... um, what I want to do is uh, really just set that up for you, um, so that you're, you know, appraised of um, of what's coming next. You're going to get a lot of Jacob over the next <laughs> the next little while, um, so uh, I, I'm going to give you a, a bigger picture. Um, now I have a little bit of um, theological training. Um, the quality of that will emerge or not, as the case may be. But um, when I was doing my theology studies, I had the opportunity to study Islam, which was a fascinating course. Um, uh, It was the only course at my college that wasn't recorded. And on that sort of liberal university campus, we had to have the windows closed and the door closed and the microphones off. Uh, while we took a critical look at the Quran, at the Prophet Muhammad, and asked some of those difficult questions about about him, um, one thing to note about the Quran is that the, the story of Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and, and Abraham are in there, with all the character flaws removed. Um, I, but what I want you to notice this morning is what we have here is, is not perfect, but it is holy. And the question to ask of any other holy book is, is it holy? What we have in scripture is not perfect, but it is holy. There are 66 books in the Bible, and God's plan goes belly up in chapter 3. God's plan goes off the rails in chapter 3. We go from the creation of the universe, the goodness of what God has made, the connectedness of humanity with God and with creation, to the utter breakdown of those relationships between God and creation, and between people and God and creation within three chapters. Creation goes from blessed to cursed, Adam and Eve go from intimate with God to banished, in under three chapters. Now, why do I tell you this? I tell you this because failure is written into God's story. And human weakness and sin and failure are woven into this story. And God calls this holy. God calls this holy. Human weakness sin, and failure are woven into Scripture and it's holy stuff. The finger of God The Holy Spirit moves through it all. So I don't know what you're bringing today. Um, I don't know what your crises are in life. Um, Your problems, your disappointments, your sins, your hopes, your dreams, your longings, your lackings. I don't know, but they are all written into God's story. And you are part of the unfolding of this story. And I wouldn't be standing here preaching to you if it were not for this story and this way. And in fact, the, without you know the story of Isaac's um, marriage to Rebecca without their infertility, and, and all the fighting and the drama and the saga that unfolds out of that, none of us would be sitting here now, um, without this particular story, without this catastrophic saga of the warring brothers and the fighting and the deceiving. And none, of, none of us would be sitting here now. It plays a foundational part in the whole narrative of which Jesus is ultimately the real revelation, the fulfillment and the anchor. But this is all part of it. So some things to hold in mind throughout the series and this morning are not not so much who am I, um, but what could God make of you? What will God make of you? Not What could God possibly do with me, but what could God not do with you? And some questions to ask yourself, I I recommend these questions to anybody um, looking at scripture, even if it's for personal reflection, but particularly, you know, if you're engaging with something. What does it tell you about God? What does this tell you about people? And how does it make you want to pray? Because our goal is to engage with God and our goal is, is to move into closer relationship with him so what does it tell us about God what does it tell us about people and how does it make you want to pray and we're going to look at the people first so let's look let's look at the book so, we have. I'm going to give you a little bit of backdrop. Um, so, in this section, we've got um, Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob and Esau mentioned and Rebecca. Now, we've got the patriarchs um, in, the, in the chapters preceding this Abraham and Isaac, and, and obviously, Jacob, the character, is going to emerge. And these are the heroes of the faith. These are the, these are the guys, the founding fathers of, of our faith. And they are all struggling. They're all struggling. Abraham has a really turbulent life. And then as he's just sort of gearing up to die, getting his house in order as a very old man, he's got the stress of trying to find a wife for his son. And, um, and it's got to be a particular person. He's you know conscious that this, um, you know, God's blessing and plan and promises for him have got to be fulfilled. And he really wants his son to marry someone from within the clan. So right at the end of his days, as if he hasn't got enough to worry about, he's got to send his servant on this mission to find a specific type of girl from his family. And he says, you know, if you, if you can't do that, I, I, you know, you were totally released from everything. You've really done your bit, you know, if you, if you get this, or if you can't get it right. The servant goes off on this mission, and there are pages and pages about the servant going, please, Lord, just do this. Please, Lord, help me find this woman. And please, could you help me find her just like this? I want her to turn up at the well. I want her to give me water to drink. I want her to feed my camels. And she's got to come from Abraham's family. Please, 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 can you make this go right? Because he loves his master and he really wants this to go well for him. So God, God hears that prayer and God answers uh, the servant's prayer quite spectacularly um, in the form of Rebecca. Now Isaac is 40 years old. Um, we're told when he marries Rebecca. So I was going to say he's no spring chicken, but let's say no, he's a spring chicken, isn't he? Yeah, those of us nudging or hovering around 40. So he's he's relatively young, um, but Rebecca enters into that relationship loaded with the prayers and the blessings and the expectations of her family. In in chapter 24, verse 60, her, her family prays for her. Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. Have you ever had prayers like that? Prayers for sugar and spice and all things nice. Have you ever received prayers like that? Rebecca comes loaded with prayers and she herself is the answer to prayers. She is the answer to Abraham's desire for Isaac to have a wife from his family clan. She is God's response to Isaac's servant's prophetic dialogue with the Lord in chapter 24 and Rachel's family are bowled over with the precision um, with which God answers those prayers and the servant says, let me just tell you how this has come about that your daughter's just walked out here exactly as I prayed it's quite spectacular and and they agree this is quite amazing stuff you must go with this man and marry a stranger (laughs) and and Rachel and Rachel does that she's a young girl with a 40 year old husband and nothing happens for 20 years she is removed from her family never to see them again and nothing happens for 20 years Isaac is 60 years old when the twins are born we're told in this in this passage, and just consider that when it comes to thinking about identity and character. You know What sort of an identity vacuum would that create for this girl? It's not like... I mean, we think we've got enough on our plates in this day and age, in this society, to live up to people's expectations. And there's a whole load of baggage that comes with church culture and expectations for people. All this girl has got to do is have babies. And she's failing. She can't even get a job, you know, do something else. Her purpose is to have babies... And she's got the baggage of all those prophetic promises and she's failing. 20 years of failure and shame and frustration. And then when the Lord finally does answer her prayers, she has a painful pregnancy with twin boys crushing each other, the text says, in her womb. And we can only imagine a very painful uh, delivery of those two boys. So her life is not a bed of roses um, but it's not all bad either. So she is loved by Isaac. Um, he doesn't, you know, whisper in her ear, How about lending me your servant to get this child? And, and they don't uh, do, do it like that. She's loved by Isaac. She is cared for and prayed for by him. And they're wealthy. Uh, Isaac has inherited all of Abraham's wealth. So she's rich and she's loved and she's cared for. Um, but it's not all perfect that's rebecca and then the boys come along and we've got esau and jacob esau red and hairy must have been strange (laughs) um and then jacob grabbing the heel and of course you know in hebrew culture and and much like us you know looking for meaning in things here comes this this uh this child grasping the heel of his brother um, which means he deceives, you know, that's an idiom for, for he, he deceives. And um, I know that the focus is on Jacob in the series, but all I'm going to say about him today is that we see him coming into the world as a, as a deceiver, as a heel grabber. And and that is what he will turn out to be. He's going to turn out to be a trickster. He's going to be uh, someone who um, deceives his family members. Uh, He's going to be somebody who wrongs other people. Um, And he's going to grab, we're going to see him grabbing the firstborn right, deceiving his father and his brother. Um, But the thing I want you to notice here is that Jacob is not the name God gives him. Jacob is not the name God gives him. Jacob is his character. Jacob is the one uh, God wrestles with. Uh, But Israel is the name God gives him. Because he struggled with God and he overcame. Israel is the name that God gives Jacob. So what does this passage tell us about God? Well, it tells us that he hears. He hears our prayers. uh, God sees He knows exactly what's going on. He sees the situation. He knows the need. He knows uh, and remembers his promises to him, to um, the family, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Rebecca. And and much like Psalm 139, we see here, You have searched me, Lord. You know me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Your eyes saw my unformed body. And we see that to be true here for Rebecca with the boys in her womb. What else does it tell us about God? Well, it tells us that God has designated Jacob, um, the weak brother, the powerless younger sibling, to be the one who will become a great nation. That's God's prerogative, to do it any which way he wants to, not through the firstborn. And he starts that, you know, right in the beginning of Genesis with Cain and Abel. I'm I'm not going to go through the firstborn son, thank you very much just going to do it my own way. God chooses the scheming, manipulative uh, son, younger son, to accomplish his purposes. What couldn't God do with you and me? That second son, that second best son, will become Israel, will become a tiny, powerless, second best people living in the midst of much uh, mightier nations. And through that son... Israel eventually will come true Israel, will come Jesus, a single man born into a poor family um, in an oppressed and invaded nation. And even Jesus, God's perfect son, is going to know failure. He's going to be crucified as an imposter, as a Messiah impersonator, as a megalomaniac, as a lawbreaker. He's going to suffer character assassination um, such that the only thing that they're going to get right about him come the end of Jesus' life will be the crime that they pin to the cross above him. Remember, they they pin the charge, uh, the crime he's committed, they're going to pin that to the cross. It's the only thing anybody will get right about him by the end of his life. Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. But it's through this man and this death and this way, through failure and death, that God will accomplish his whole project, our reconciliation with him and with one another. It's, It's that way. And this passage, I think, and so much of the Jacob story, it's all about the striving of a son to get first place. Jesus comes and says, Whoever does the will of God is my brother. And sister and mother, whoever. Jesus comes and teaches us that it's all about grace. Access to God only comes by grace through faith in Jesus. We are co inheritors with Christ of every spiritual blessing by grace through faith. And we have the same capacity, we have the same capacity as them, 3,000 years ago, to fight over these things for conflicts over family supremacy, birthrights, birth order, land, inheritance, property, wives, children. and none of them have traction in the kingdom of God. So none of them get secured in the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't come into Israel and say, "You're going to get the land back. It's not about the land. He doesn't secure any of those things because they don't count in the kingdom of God. And I do wonder about Rebecca in this passage. I mean, we might ask, why would God make her wait like that for 20 years and experience all those things? Well, I wonder, and it's my question, it's not biblically (laughs) informed as such, but why should God uphold our expectations? Why should God... um, endorse the expectations of a society that says you're nothing if you're not married by the age of 20, if you don't have seven sons by the age of 30? Is it in God's interest? Is he concerned to fulfill our society's expectations for a woman? Not at all. Do you think he cares that she hasn't got kids? It doesn't matter at all to his fulfillment of of his plans for her life. Not one bit. He could wait 30, 40, 50 years. He could wait till Sarah was well beyond childbearing age to fulfill his plans. And he'll do it his own way, thank you very much. (laughs) Because that's who God is. His plans will be fulfilled, and they will be fulfilled this way. So Rebecca has the, the prayers fulfilled, but not in the way that everybody around her is expecting, and certainly not in the way that the world would condition and, and uh, force her to, to become a complete person. Not at all like that. So it's got nothing to do with who we're born to or who we're descended from. Whether we're single or married or barren or rolling in children, it's got nothing to do with that. What God promises and delivers to everyone who trusts in him is himself, is his spirit and a place in his family. And the dynamics there are just not at all like human families. Praise the Lord. So I'm grateful for this story um, because none of us is anything really, are we? We are all strivers. We are all deceivers, liars. Makers of the best of ourselves, tweeters of the best, when the reality is that we're all failures. We are all, we are all rubbish, <laughs> and yet we are rich beyond compare. We are loved without ceasing. We are wanted, we are prized, we are valued, we are favored by our Heavenly Father. How does that make you want to pray? Amen.